Hello everyone, uh, welcome to Villa Together episode four and this week I am joined once again by Ian Gillitz. Ian, how are we doing? How are you Chris? Thanks for having me on again. Great to see you. See, I've um, purchased the new shirt on Saturday so I'm uh, kitted out with the new kit which is lovely. Feels great fit to be fair. Had a size large again. I'm normally a medium but um, yeah, in the capper fitting I'm uh, a size large so yeah, feels like a nice shirt. Feels comfy. Looking forward to seeing us playing it next season. What, what I like about them is, because um, I think last season the the badges on the normal ones were embroidered, and you got the I don't know what it was the pro fit or something. That and the badges were rubber, but I think they're all rubber now. Yeah, aren't it's they? like that. It's that silicone sort of um, texture, isn't it? This is the same. If you if you can see, so that it's not embroidered. Yeah, do like it. Looks very smart. I went up last week. I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't notice until until we bought them that it was like that, and it is pretty smart to be fair. Um, but I seen a lot of people saying they're about to go up two sizes. So, so you've done all right there, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, oh, all, yeah, it's all, all the running I've been doing, mate. Gotta be doing it. So people were saying, to be fair, when we had Kappa last season, you've got you've got to get yourself on a a, a special diet to make sure that you can get in the kit <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, cardio diet why is it kappa because kappa originally i think um they had, they did sexy kits for euro 2000 and they were those kind of almost skin tight ones weren't they i don't know if yeah. you remember it's always been the idea quite, quite associated with kappa wasn't it a fitted yeah. shirt the idea, the idea with those um those italy ones italy did it fulham had it as well and Roma, but the, the original idea behind the Italy ones was to try and stop shirt pulling to make it a bit more obvious. I mean, whether it does or not, I don't really know. So, um, so, so diving in, we, um, me and Ian spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, to be honest. Um, obviously, fans aren't allowed in grounds at the moment. Brighton did a trial um, last week, I think it was Saturday, just gone game against Chelsea, letting in a um, number of fans. And I think that's going to be the kind of norm now is clubs are going to do trials, but obviously still everything is going to be determined by statistics uh, regards to COVID-19 in the UK um, and basically what the government say. So I can't see us being allowed in grounds for a while. So what we're going to do is, is kind, of, um, kind of discuss our favourite things about match days a bit of nostalgia, really, to kind of get the feels going. Um, and Ian kind of mentioned a few things to me the other week. So, I, mean, I don't know about you. Um, I don't particularly have any any pre-game rituals. The one thing sometimes I will do is, if I've been to a game and we have won, and I've worn a particular top, um, then I will wear that shirt to, to the next game. As sad as it is, I've always done that. I don't know if you've got any, any rituals or anything like that. That's that's probably the only uh, thing I've got in all things. Yeah, I've got so many saf sort of superstitions and rituals like that. Like yourself, if we win a game and I'm wearing a specific top, um, I wear it again and again until we sort of lose. And then I'll swap and change it up. Um, when I'm in the halt end, I always, for some reason, if I'm at a home game, I always sit with my left foot 
for the home team in front of my right foot. And that is probably the saftest one I've got. And I always have my left hand on top of my right hand. But if it's an away game, I'm standing in the away end and my right foot is further forward than my left foot. And then my right elbow goes on to the left hand and I stand like that. And that's my stance at an away game. It's so stupid, but I'm so superstitious like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, literally that is the only one in terms of tops, but sometimes things will just happen off the cuff. You know, it might be, we, you know, certain things happen and I'm wearing a particular item or for that, you know, for that particular game, I may have sat in a particular place. Uh, you know, one day I had, you know, maybe, you know, my lad to my left, to my right one week or whatever. And depending on the game, I might sit like that. Things like that or... You know, I might have driven in, driven into the game, or I might have caught the train, you know, for the game, and then because we've won, I'll do the same. Um, but yeah, in terms of same routine, <laughs> it's odd how it gets you thinking. But in terms of the detail that you've just gone, gone into, mentioning what you do, I wonder if there's anyone else who does that. That's 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 some. Right. some there's got to be there's there's got to be a lot out there. I mean, I even go up the same stairs. At, whole set day game we sit in k4 um which is as as you sort of behind the whole tend it's to the right hand side of the goal but i always go up the furthest steps to the left which are closer to the trinity road stand even though our seats in the whole tend are closer to the doug ellis stand so weird and then away games if i'm there with my old man i make him stand to the left and i always stand on the right as the away team like it would be if you were looking at the fixtures home and away it was so weird yeah, I think I think that I think you'd probably struggle to find people who haven't got a kind of a ritual or a superstition about a game. It's just one of those things. I think people people invest their time and money so much into into football, and and because it becomes such a big emotional connection, and it almost is, you know, it's, it is your first love, isn't it? I'll always say to my wife, she'll say something. You always put football first, and I'll say I'm not being funny, but I loved Aston Villa before I loved you. Um, and I think because of things like that, people will, you know, they'll want the best for their team. And they'll just be silly little things, the way they sit, the way they stand, where they sit, where they stand, what they do. And if you have a good result, you'll kind of stick to that for at least a week or whatever it is. Um, I mean, it's, it's an odd one, but I think it's one of those things. But, you know, it's going to be interesting to see when we can, you know, when you can stand with your left foot in front of your right foot and, and things like that. <laughs> I can't wait. It's been too long already. Really can't wait. It was interesting to see at the um, the trial at Brighton that they had all of those, I think it was about 2,500, weren't there, there in, um, in the capacity. But they were all in the same stand, so they were obviously checking out procedures to see how it would work um, grand style. Because most people were saying, oh, why haven't they scattered them around the whole of the ground? But you can see if they're going to allow sort of a percentage of the capacity there. So say it's a third, for example. Um, they can see how it's working in the one stand and then they can sort of mirror that to the, the other stands around the ground in terms of social distancing and then sort of how they do. I don't know if, because a lot of, have you had the um, survey come through from Villa? Yeah, they sent it around, so. they, they sent it around last week and I was at Villa Park last week and, um, and one of the guys said that obviously what it, what it probably will come down to even though it's a bad way of doing it, it obviously it's likely that we'd I think we'd get a capacity of around eleven thousand or something, eleven or twelve thousand for home games at Villa Park. 
uh, and obviously we've got 30,000 season ticket holders. And it's likely, he said it's likely to come down to a ballot, which is going to be a tough one because, yes, there's 30,000 season ticket holders, but amongst those 30,000 season ticket holders, there will be people who've been season ticket holders for, you know, 20 plus years, probably even longer as well. Um, and you kind of, in that way, it's, it's kind of a tough one to kind of be like, well, you know, you've been coming for the last however many years, you've not missed a game, but this season, unfortunately, you're not going to be able to come. So it's a tough one, but that's what he said he reckons is going to happen. Um, I just don't know, don't know what other way to do it. Um, yeah. Whether they... Yeah, whether they base base what they do off what, what people are putting on the survey and stuff like that. Um, you know, obviously, I'll ask, they ask a lot of questions on that. And they'll take people's thoughts into consideration, but... You know, it's a, it's a tough one to gauge, really, isn't it? You have 30,000 people to please. You're not going to please all of them, obviously, if you're going to only allow in just over a third of that. So, I don't really know how they, how they how they could please as many people as possible, but I reckon, based on what he said, that's what they're going to do, ballot, which, I don't know, is it, is it the fairest way to do it? I don't really know. So it's, a, it's a difficult one, isn't it? I mean, from the questioning on that survey, it was very much like you say, they were going towards doing a ballot. Um, but I, me and my old man, we've had our season tickets now 26, 27 years on the trot. Um, and then you could have potentially people that were new season ticket holders at the start of last season as we came into the Premier League that have only had it for one and then they're in the same sort of category as me and my old man or a lot of other people like us that have had it for 10 plus years. Um, so it is difficult. And like you say, you're never going to please everybody with that amount. There's so many Villa fans and so many people that are going to want to go back and feel that atmosphere again. And it's not going to be like before when you're down to a sort of a third of your capacity. But just to be back in the ground is going to be so good for so many people. So it's be interesting. I mean, I wouldn't want the job of sorting it out, to be honest. <laughs> Especially that working in the uh, Aston Villa ticket office when when we are allowed to go back and they have to sort of restrict it to maybe one in three games that you're allowed to go to, or if it is a ballot and it's totally random, you might not get to a game <laughs> for the whole season. But yeah, it's it's definitely certainly an interesting one. I think there's a lot of people who have said. When, when replying to the survey that they don't want um, fans to be allowed back into the, the ground because they feel like that we should only, you know, if we're going to have fans in the ground, it's almost a all or nothing kind of approach. <clears throat> and I do see where they're coming from because I think, you know, being in being at Villa Park when you, you know, most weeks when we are, you know, nearing capacity and it's rocky, you know, to then go a third of that. And okay, I appreciate it. Villa fans are pretty noisy and vocal and the atmosphere, there'd still be an atmosphere but it, I, th I suppose it would kind of feel more like a, a Tuesday night Carabao Cup game against Middlesbrough yeah. as opposed just about to, to say that you know, yeah you know which, which has happened I think it was a couple of years ago wasn't it a Tuesday night game like that which you don't get, probably well you get more than that but you're looking at more like 20,000 but then you're looking at say half 20,000, the atmosphere you get with that is nothing compared to, you know, a usual match day on a weekend. Um, so to have it down to a third, not going to be great. But then again, is it going to be 
more compassion the last season, whatever it was, where there was no one, to then having, you know, 11, 12,000, that bringing in some kind of atmosphere, you know, is that going to be yeah. what really boils down to? Um, but yeah, I mean, another thing we mentioned, pre-game, uh, and at half-time as well, um, favourite food and or drink, I know there are some people who will literally have a Saturday where their diet consists of nothing but cabbages. Um, but, but some people will kind of, you know, have a bit of, yeah, have, have a bit of, have a couple of beers, have something else, have something to eat. Um, I mean, I, I tend to try and shy away from the, the liquid diet on a Saturday because, or a Saturday or whenever match day, because then, you know, when I get back, I'm, I'm just useless to everybody. But, I don't know about you. Are you, are you a good? Are you a good mix, or, or, or you know, are you are you literally you wake up, you prepare, and you're on it? Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I am I am quite a good mix. To be fair, it's dependent on whether it's like you say, it's rare now with obviously TV coverage to get a Saturday three o'clock kickoff. So when it actually is a Saturday three o'clock kickoff, we normally um, go up on the train from Star bridge into central Birmingham, have a few drinks around sort of Bennett's Hill, Temple Street, Head of Steam, places like that. And then we aim to be at the ground for sort of an hour before kickoff. And then if, if we're lucky, um, we'll go into the Holt pub because um, we're part of the obviously Kinswinford Lions. So it's supporters clubs only and sort of season ticket holders um, on rare occasion in there. And then I, I like to be in the stadium at least 30 minutes prior to kickoff. And that gives me time to get a balty pie and a uh, another drink, whatever it may be. But then on a sort of midweek game, I tend to come straight from work. So I'll be driving or be uh, picked up by the old man. So we tend to have uh, no alcoholic beverages on a midweek game, but still the staple balty pie. And then I throw in some chips as well, because it's probably my tea if I've come straight from work. And a, a, a Diet Coke, <laughs> just for good measure. Something just to balance it off with uh, bad and good. Yeah, you've got to mix it up. I think the thing is, there are some things that you just only associate with with the football. Like, I don't think I've ever... I, I never eat pies. I don't ever have a pie anywhere else. Um, but if I'm, if I'm at Villa Park, I will have a Balti pie, and they are. They are amazing, to be honest. They're pretty good, aren't they? But I never, I never any other time, eat pies. Um, but I'm partial to a burger as well. I want to come around the corner. Um, just up from the tavern, one of the vans around there, uh, partial to a cheeseburger from there. But, but in all fairness, usually when I'm in the ground, I'd have I'd just have a Coke or something. Um, after maybe a, a couple at the at the tavern or, or somewhere else. Um, but I mean, I suppose I think for a lot of people, away games are probably a bit different. I mean, when, when we went to Burnley a few years ago, that was that was definitely a lot of relief. You know the journey there, and so <laughs> just drinking, drinking, drinking beer and whatever else, wasn't it? So yeah. that is, I think that's probably the case for a lot of people. Away, away, away games that kind of tend to be, depending on what day it is, anyway, uh, a different kettle of fish. Yeah, if you're getting a if you're getting a Saturday away day or um, a nice bank holiday weekend or Easter weekend, etc. And you've got a Friday game at Fulham or somewhere like that. You're getting on the minibus or going down on the train. Yeah, 
liquid diet is the uh, the only option, I think. Yeah, because, uh, I mean, obviously, the back end of last season, you know, people are probably tuning into the games, you know, within half an hour before and then maybe having a beer then. One during the game, maybe one after. Um, I, I just, it is totally different. Um, when, when, I was, when I was there last week at Villa Park, being in, being in the ground, it's just like you just, but obviously it feels totally different when there's everyone in there, there's that atmosphere, but just the feels you get when you're in Villa Park because it's one of those stadiums, it's an amazing stadium. And I just really missed it because I love watching football and I always watch football, but watching games without fans just doesn't feel right. But, you know, talking about the things you do before and after games, it kind of makes you, makes you miss it a bit more. Um, yeah, but yeah, there's definitely there's definitely, there's definitely um, a lot of things. I mean, I'm trying to think, what's what's the main thing you think apart from the football? What do you think the main thing is that you miss from a match day? Oh, it's, it's that it's that whole community, isn't it? It's the Villa family. When you go into the, the game, it's not just about the ninety minutes and, and the football. And for for the last um, sort of few seasons before we got promoted it was the biggest part of the day was being with your friends your family your mates that you've all made down the years at Villa being in the stadium hugging each other when you scored having a few beers before and after the game um, and making new friendships I think that's a big part of it the actual Villa community and you can see sorry I just uh, had a wobble but yeah definitely we've all everybody's there for the same reason because they love the Aston Villa um, and there's nothing like a packed Villa Park, 42 and a half thousand Villa fans chanting every week we follow. Um, yeah, that's the biggest thing I miss, definitely, Chris. Yeah, I think for a lot of people, you know, you'll, you'll end up seeing, um, you see people that you, you wouldn't speak to any other time. You know, you, you see people that you'll see at Villa Park, um, and the occasional away day, you'll see them, you'll chat to them. But then apart from that, during the week, you, you might not speak to them. And I think for other people, um, I, I, it, might, it might be a case for you, but I think for some other people, it is um, It is sometimes, you know, it's a nice day out with family. You know, a lot of people, it's a day out with their, you know, their dad and stuff like that, or, you know, vice versa, it's a day out with, with your son or, you know, your daughter or your mum, whatever it is. I think, you know, sometimes as people get older and you're not living in the same household, sometimes you have that and that, that becomes an important, um, you know, of people's, of people's lives, of people, people's weeks and stuff like that. They look forward to that because that's a nice, a nice day, a nice few hours that they'll spend with family. Um, I think that's a big thing for some people and they do miss that. I think I've spoken to a few people who, from, who are fans of other clubs because it's a, it's a it's a you know a day out with their dad you know or a day out with their dad and their, their members which which I think is something that people a lot of people maybe who aren't football fans wouldn't think about you know they look at they look at football fans in general but they don't think about that you know that's a nice day out with your family you know your dad your mom brother sister whoever it is it's a, it's a nice day out um, you know I think that that's a big thing I think as well um, it's, it's almost the the uniqueness of of a football match. Um, I know it's similar to sporting events and stuff like that, but I think you know going to a game and being in a stadium like Villa Park because it's you know it's a lot 
I think the atmosphere there is is a lot better, a lot different to other places. Um, going that, going there, and having that, being able to feel it, you know, listening to the team come out and the music coming out um, as they're coming out of the tunnel, things like that. You just no matter how many times you watch them, you get those feels. And then when you're not at the game, obviously you don't get them, and it's and you kind of miss them. I think those kind of things, those feels that you get. That's the word I'm going to use. Those feels that you get when you're at a game. <laughs> I think it's a big thing. It definitely is. Like, it's, yeah, it's, an odd, it's an odd one, isn't it? But when you watch a game on TV, obviously it's just totally different. You don't get those those feels, do you? No. And it's like, to a, a non-footballing person, it's really hard to explain that actual feeling. Being there with your mates, with your dad, with your family, uh, and that camaraderie you have together, celebrating goals having a day out in different, especially like away games, having a day out in a different city. It's, it's quite cultural as well. You get to explore mostly, mostly the pubs in the city centre of that city or town. But uh, uh, when, when would you go to places like Blackburn, Rotherham? It's, uh, it's just yeah. an, a unique feeling. Yeah, exactly. I, I know there was people, um, a lot of people last last season, um, obviously first season back for three years, um, who were going away days to Brighton and you know spending a week weekend down in Brighton, you know things like that. You know you just do that for football, but it's giving you that opportunity to do it and a reason to do it. And you know you have that weekend and it's and it's kind of special and that's all because of football. Um, so there is that kind of uniqueness element, and I appreciate that. You know you'll get that with other football teams, you'll get that with other sport, you know sports events. Um, but certainly, from from our point of view, that's that's definitely something that that I miss. Just that uniqueness and those those feels. Um, yeah. And the uh, you know the the odd multi pie as well. So <laughs> definitely something. I think it probably um, hit home then, to a lot of people when the fixtures were released, and you're always looking at those good away days, the ones you want to get in the calendar straight away, booking your hotels if you're going to do weekenders, etc booking your travel, your train tickets and, and that's where it fell flat with me for the fixtures this time because it's the first time that we've not been able to pre-plan anything because you just don't know what the situation is going to be like. Yeah, a lot of people said that. It was almost like it was the flattest uh, fixture release for a week. When you look at it, you kind of, I know they've said not, like, not letting fans into ground before October so you're kind of looking, okay, the games, the games in September, who have we got? Is there anyone that I'm going to miss either as an away day or in terms of some kind of intense rivalry that you'll like to have those fans at, at Villa Parking? Is there any teams that where you're going to miss that? Um, and I think it's kind of one of them as well, like you said, being able to plan things and think about things. Oh, okay, yeah, we'll, you know, we'll do that this time. It's still primarily, you know, up in the air, isn't it, about what, what you're going to be able to do and what, what's going to happen. But, um, yeah, that, that, that was certainly a lot of people were saying it was the flattest and the most disappointing fixture release. And, um, you know, nothing to do with the, the teams that we're playing because I think on the whole, it, it, you know, you look and you can't really find any, any easy games. I know there's no easy games in the prep, but certainly this season. It seems a lot more... There was this... That, there's no kind of excitement about it, which I think I think just all comes down to this with, with us not being able to be there. Definitely, without doubt, without a shadow of a doubt. Obviously, we had a a big discussion last week, me, you, and Joe, about the the non inclusion of Grealish 
England side, which we were pretty proud. Um, we, 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 we went into detail about reasons why, touched on potential personal issues, his positional play, whether it's because he's primarily played on the left, and he probably is more of an 8 or a 10. Um, we, we, we talked about reasons and, and looked at stats to say, you know, he's better than these guys, better than these guys. Um, and obviously, since then, he has been called up to the England squad because Winks and Rashford have dropped out. And I think, ironically, those two have dropped out. He probably could cover either of them, couldn't he? He could, he could play in midfield, probably more advanced than Harry Winks. But he could certainly play in centre midfield. And he could certainly play off the left um, instead of Rashford. So it's interesting to see. I imagine he's coming as a, a Rashford replacement. Um, it was obviously it, it kind of came out of the blue didn't it really I don't think we because obviously we most of us expected it the week before and then it just came out of the blue that he'd, he'd been called up a late call up yeah it's uh, firstly um, it's amazing news for Jack himself obviously boyhood dream so congratulations to our captain fantastic on getting the call up and like you just said Chris um, yeah definitely um, I think it's more to do with the, the Rashford um injury and him pulling out but it, it was that's why we were also annoyed um when he put Cody and um Nathan Miles in because we were thinking well the rumor is Rashford's injured so surely Jack's the perfect replacement and then he called those two guys up and we were like what is going on here now Southgate's obviously he's, he's having us all on and then suddenly the late call up again for Jack um, with Winks and Rashford officially pulling out. So it's great news for Jack, obviously. Hopefully, he'll get his fir first cap for England. Uh, and what a dream come true that will be for him. Yeah, definitely. I, I think, from my point, I think probably the same is that I just want him to get his chance because I, I genuinely feel that if he gets his chance, he'll prove himself and he'll show everyone, and Southgate in particular, how good a player he is, how adaptable he is. Um, I mean, people, people last week when I, when I had conversations about who was in, people were saying he doesn't work hard enough, he's absent good enough, um, he throws tantrums on the pitch. Um, and I was thinking, okay, you probably say that off two or three games where you've seen him throw his arms up in the air because, you know, Trezeguet's played a, a poor pass to him or something. But I've seen him so many times in the left-back position or the right-back position because that's where Dean Smith wanted him to be when he's come back defensively and he's done it. In, and, you know, I'm kind of thinking, you know, why do I don't know why people just say this absolute rubbish just because, for whatever reason, they don't like him and they just want to try and give some stupid reason for him not being in the team. It's frustrating and I want him to just prove everyone, everyone wrong. And I know he can do And I think, to be honest, we could probably, like we were last week, we could probably and talk about Grealish or not, couldn't we, in all fairness? Yeah, I have utmost confidence in him. If you if you look at him, I don't know if you saw the little bit of footage when they were all arriving um, at St George's um, and Grealish got out of the car, fully kitted out in his villa training gear and gave the camera a little wave and a uh, sort of uh, wink. Uh, he's got he's got so much confidence, that lad. I'm, I'm sure he's on the training ground, um, obviously, today and yesterday, tearing it up and um, giving uh, Southgate something to think about because he's not shy at all. Yeah, no, he's not. And I think that, that's a big 
a big part of his game, and, and obviously we're all hoping there's still, you know, still a, still a couple of weeks to go to the start of the season. I think there's still 30 days left of the transfer window, so we're all hoping that he's still going to be with us. I think I don't know. I'm, I'm quite confident that he will be. Um, I think Man United is probably the only team at the moment that seems to be interested in him. I still get the feeling that it might come down to moves we make in the transfer market. And it seems like, um, moving on slightly, it seems like we've taken and potentially may have made our first moves in the market officially. There's been a lot of rumours about all sorts of stuff. I think we touched on them for the last three weeks, really, whether they're lazy links or whether there's anything in them. This looks like the most concrete link, and that is at a bid of around 14 million at Forest for Matty Cash. Um, Matty Cash obviously started at Forest he's come for the youth ranks I think he started as a centre, centre midfielder um, I think Lamucci came in started last season um, changed the team slightly to a bit more of an attacking 4-3-3 and the idea was if you can adapt you can be my starting right back um, because he's saw the engine he had you can be my starting right back I'll get you in the team and he was Forest player of the year as a right back, which which he converted from centre half. So, just going to go, go through a few stats. I, I think it's a, it's a tough one. I think for some people, on the face of it, it's another right back, and we've got two, two, two decent right backs. I think uh, probably both of them divide atten- uh, you know divide opinion. Some people love Elmo. Some people don't like him. A lot of people love Gil Bear. Others are unsure on him, and I think we, we touched on it a couple of weeks ago about Gil Bear. And his his poor passing and his occasional lapse in play in terms of positional sense, which is why, and we love him for it, which is why he's always diving into tackles because he made the mistake, so he's to make up for his mistake. So, uh, Matty Cash uh, last season, uh, forty-two appearances for Nottingham Forest. Um, he had a who scored rating of seven point two. Uh, by comparison, Ollie Watkins, um, who was a Championship Player of the Year, scored 7.26. So, just shy of him. Um, and by comparison to one of our own, Jack Grealish, his best season in the Championship, which was 18-19, was 7.42. Um, so, obviously, he falls a bit below that. But I think attacking players do tend to get higher ranking because of the goals and the assists that they contribute to. So eight, he ranks 18th overall um, in the championship from last season. I think when you look at it, that he played for and didn't get promoted, a team that somehow missed out on the playoffs. 18th overall, so that's for all players, um, 18th highest who scored rating. So it's not, not bad. Um, he was 10th in the league for tackles per game. And he had uh, overall 110 successful tackles, so he, he loves to tackle. Uh, 76% success rate, uh, 70% pass success rate. So his passing, um, not brilliant. Um, I think from, from looking at a bit on him, he does like to play long the ball forward for, for the front three to run onto. Um, and I'm hoping that with better players around him, um, that he'll be able to up that success rate. 159 crosses, um, so that's a decent amount, uh, created 46 chances, which I think for a right-back is, is pretty good. Uh, three 
goals, five assists with the right back is pretty good, better than than our right backs. And I think certainly for me, I was a bit. It was one of them. I kind of thought, okay, um, out of all the players we need, right back would be down there. But then obviously we mentioned it a couple of weeks ago when Joe highlighted the weaknesses in the game in um, Gil Bear's game. Uh, I think most of us are probably aware of El Mahamed's weaknesses in his game, but you know his experience and you kind of you know what you're getting. Um, we're all aware of his weaknesses. So I, I suppose going forward, it does be like a good one. Um, obviously, started as centre midfield, he can play right wing. Um, so again, you know ver- his versatility could be good for us. I think I think that that's probably something that we've lacked this season is, is having players that. You know, sometimes you might have a midfielder that you can stick out wide um, or, or vice versa. It seems like the only player that we've been able to change position with, really, Combs has done it a couple of times, uh, Courtney Hawes as well. Really, the only player that we've been able to move around has been Jack Grealish. Um, don't really want to be doing that with the best player. Um, so I think it's, it's good maybe to get in these players that are quite versatile. Um, who scored list his strengths as dribbling, finishing, tackling, uh, blocking the ball and his defensive contribution. Um, he likes to cut inside, likes to, likes to shoot from distance and likes to tackle. And one thing I noticed from uh, watching him was that 1v1 is pretty good in tackle, um, which I think is going to be something good that for us in terms of there's a lot of times um, that you do see our fullbacks get isolated 1v1 because of the, the style of play that we have. So it'd be good to have somebody who'd be good in those those scenarios. Um, and one thing that was very interesting, and we, we touched on this earlier, Ian, was about he's... So we looked at the, the heat map of, of uh, um, Matic in terms of where he's spending his time on the pitch. And he literally, he touches that, that touchline, the right-hand touchline, and he's almost the whole length of the pitch up, up that touchline. Whereas when you look at a comparison with El Mohamedi, and Gilbert, for those guys watching on YouTube, you'll be able to see this on there. Um, for those guys listening to the podcast, um, trying to describe it as best as possible. So for El Mohamed in comparison, El Mohamed is almost edge of the 18-yard box to edge of the 18-yard box. And I think that kind of highlights his, his weakness in terms of not as bad as Alan Hutton, but being isolated. The balls can be played between fullback and centre-half, and that's probably one of his weaknesses. Um, but Elmo's been primarily 20 yards from our goal, 20 yards from their goal, operating in that area. He's not getting as high as maybe you want them to, but he's certainly not getting as far back as we want him to as a defensive player. And then Gilbert, he does cover a bit more, but again, he, his main areas are that, that, that area um, in between. There is a bit of red, red as in where the heat is, where he has been. Um further down, so in line with the 18-yard box and again, the opposition 18-yard box. But what that indicates is that there has been times where he's picked up the ball in those areas and I think, I think obviously as a defensive, defensive player, he will get back and need to get stuck in. I think we highlighted a couple of weeks ago, he likes to get back, likes to get stuck in, loves a slight tackle and a lot of that comes down to his poor passing going forward. And similarly, sometimes he'll pick up the ball higher up the pitch but in terms of his, his crossing and his attacking out, output, hasn't quite been there so but this is kind of 
a bit of a mix between Gilbert and, and Elmo. Matty Cash appears, loves a cross. Elmo loves a cross. And we just covered that bit more ground um, in terms of what Gilbert would do, but with a bit more. Um, but I think that, that's important, that having that, Having that player that's going to cover a lot more ground and add something to us defensively, we all saw, and I think obviously we worked on it towards the end of the season because of the time we had during lockdown, that we looked better defensively. But you could just see from those, the areas that the footballs were leaving, the gaps, the spaces they were leaving, why teams would be able to get us. <clears throat> and I think Matty Cash probably has could come in because he fits the style of play that we're looking looking to, to kind of work with that we mentioned a couple of weeks ago. Um, so I think it would tick two boxes in terms of um, an improvement defensively because he covers more ground, he's better in the tackle than v one and will be in better positions defensively. And also um, from a style of play perspective, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, being able to have fullbacks that are going to get up and down Having it seems that Matty Cash has got the heart, the desire, and most importantly, the fitness to get up and down. Um, I think Bulbear at times he's fit enough, but I don't think he's quite got it there to be able to do it in the right areas. And I think Matty Cash probably ticks these boxes. I don't know what what your thoughts are on this one, Ian. Yeah, I think um, the the major standouts for me are obviously he's, he's young, he's twenty three. Um, that that heat map comparison is, is something else. The, the amount of ground he covers, um, so it obviously shows he's energetic. From the clips I've seen of him um, from last season, he looks like he's got a lot of aggression. And you mentioned it earlier about the one versus one. He's great in the tackle, and, and that sort of tackle success rate of 76% is encouraging. But yeah, hopefully he's been identified to cover some of the weaknesses that were identified last season with Elmo and, and Gilbert and definitely that sort of between our sort of goal line to that sort of 20 yards away from our own goal. Um, there was a lot of space at times throughout the season and a lot of teams exploited it. So hopefully he's come in, they've identified that and he's come in to be not just a great defender, but like you say, he's got the energy to get forward and get into the opposition's final third. And it, the interesting thing from the heat maps for me was he actually covers a lot more in the ground as well, further into the pitch. Um, and, and like you say, he likes to cut inside, which might in time open up a little bit more space for our wingers. Um, hopefully we get one or two wingers in. But if, if we start the season with um, Trezeguet and sort of El Ghazi as the, the standout wingers, and it might open a little bit more space up for them as well when they rotate. But yeah, it looks on paper, it looks a, a really good signing and, and the stats back it up. Um, hopefully he's one of um, a first sort of many that come through the door because we really need a striker. But yeah, it's a great, hopefully it looks good. It looks good for me. Obviously, John Percy's reported it. The, the, all the Midlands guys, sort of Ashley P. Priest, uh, have reported it as well. So it looks like it's going through. Hopefully there's a medical tomorrow and we can have some... Uh, good transfer news to celebrate and then uh, get a few more through the door at Bodymore Heath as well in the coming days. Yeah, I think you're you spot on with that. Um, <clears throat> I, I think as well, what could be something is that Elmo's got a year left on his contract. And he's, been, he's been a good servant to us. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Elmo. I love the bloke. But I think in terms of a starting right-back, 
Um, he, he's just not that player. He's more of a wing back in fairness. And even though we play with progressive fullbacks, he just doesn't quite fit the style. And I think get cash in. You probably still have the three of them because you know Elmo at times can play on the wing. Let Elmo's contract run down, and then you've got Gilbert and Cash to fight it out. Um, I did. Um, so I've spoken to a friend of ours, friend of mine, Ian's, um, James Tilly, um, who's a Nottingham Forest fan. Just asked for some words uh, on Matty Cash. Um, he said Matty Cash was standout player for Forest uh, this season. Used to play as a winger, but can never hold down a first team place. Soon as Lamucci came in, he told him that the first choice brought back if he can adapt to his 4 3 3 system. The overlapping attacking wing back here. So it's been that style of overlapping attacking wing back. And we, we kind of mentioned with, with that, that style of play from last season, our fullbacks were, were essentially overlapping, overlapping wing backs. So you see it more on the left hand side. And I think obviously it worked well there that Target would bomb on. Jack would come inside. And I think that's what Dean Smith wanted to do was kind of have two two tens off Wesley. Um, so because he's played without Forrest, that could be good. Exciting player to watch, works hard up and down the right wing, which which we mentioned about the heat maps, gets up and down. Uh, technically, he's a player that, that is good and he's best going forward. And I think we certainly lack that in terms of having a, a full back, in particular a right back, who is good going forward, who has those technical abilities going forward. Um He's always looking to break the lines and get up as far as the pitch as possible. Again, something that we're lacking from the positions. As the season went on, he got better and better defensively. So obviously, he's, he's worked harder than that. Um, as we mentioned, he got got involved in the goals. He scored an injury time screamer against West Brom last season and celebrated by running length of the pitch. Um, he's one of those goals that wears his heart on his sleeve. Um, he did go and say, Forrest do manage to keep him for one more season. It would certainly be Forrest's best piece of the business this window. Doesn't look like that's going to happen. Uh, great player, uh, and he was their player of the season. So it's interesting, and I've seen a lot of it on Twitter as well. You probably have about the Forest fans wishing him well and stuff like that. And I think that, that kind of speaks volumes about, uh, I suppose, if, you know, Jack left as good as it would be, we'd wish him well because we knew he'd, he'd essentially outgrown the club and that he could do better. So I kind of feel like potentially that it could be like that with um, with Matty Cash but I think from, from having a look at him and for those guys watching YouTube uh, a video playing of Matty Cash to show him what he can do um, I, I know we can't judge people on YouTube but from looking at his stats looking at him on YouTube we went into detail about as much as we can about his style of play it does look encouraging in terms of first player through the door yeah, massively encouraging. And it, and like you say, it's always great to hear um, other fans of teams that players are coming from and, and they're genuinely upset that he's leaving. Um, and player of the season, um, it's it's going to be it's going to be a good deal for us in the long run, I think. And so at 14 million at the moment, it's, it's quite cheap for a, a player his age. Obviously, there's a few add-ons, but yeah, hopefully we can get him through the door tomorrow and then we can build on him. Um, but everything looks good from a statistical point of view from the Forest fans saying how much they enjoy watching him play and how much of a sort of fan favourite he's been over the last two years. Um, but yeah, looks good. Let's get him through the door and uh, move on to the next. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned earlier, I think we certainly need a striker. Um, in terms of transfer and in terms of 
rumoured and targets. Um, and it was reported earlier today that uh, Brentford want 28 million for Ollie Watkins. That probably is at least 10 million more than what he's worth. We touched on it two weeks ago. Joe went into detail about Ollie Watkins, um, about his, his style of play, um, his goal scoring record, um, and stuff like that. And it did seem like essentially he would be a decent fit because. He works hard, he's got good link-up play, obviously scored a good number of goals, but in terms of being a big risk because of him not playing in the Championship, we kind of said probably 15 to 20 million would be a decent value. So 28 million seems a lot. Um, we then mentioned Odson Edward, who I think was top of most of our list, wasn't he, in all fairness? Uh, yeah, he was. goal scorer, I think I, obviously, a lot of people... Um, questioned the league that he played in but you know you've seen it from you know John McGinn for example players can be good in the SPL and then be just as good or even better um, I think the fee touted for Edouard was 40 million so I'm kind of thinking you know would you pay the extra 12 mil for him and then on the other hand it seems like um, and I'm not sure again how true this is um about Callum Wilson coming to Villa. There's been a few murmurs of Wilson. Um, and I think the talented film was about 20 million. And as Joe mentioned a couple of weeks ago, he would be probably the bottom of the list in terms of adaptability and how well he'd fit in at the club because he's better in a two. Um, his link-up play isn't as good. Um, and he's more of a tapping merchant. So it would certainly be a case that the wingers would need to do a hell of a lot of work and do a hell of a lot better if Callum Wilson was to get the goal. So, I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are on these three. If you'd want two of them, three of them, one of them, where's the best value of money? Um, what, what are you thinking? Um, I'm still hankering towards we need two strikers through the door before the transfer window slams shut. Obviously, that... that rumour today around the, the 28 million valuation from Brentford. There's nothing been confirmed on that um, by sort of reliable sources. But yeah, it would seem like an extortionate amount of money. And it's whether you, you take, take the gamble and take the hit and, and pay that much and, and hope for the rewards. Um, championship player of the season, but it still seems like a hell of a lot of money. And I, I suppose it's like us, isn't it? It's, it's Brentford's best player. They're going to it's, it seems like it's a seller's market rather than a buyer's market, this transfer window. And, and I think teams are going to be rough and ready and, and take it till the last couple of days um, to get the most value for their player. Obviously, I'd love Ollie Watkins as one of the two. Um, and he'd definitely be in my sort of top two strikers through the door. But I, I'm still thinking there's there's somebody going to come on and surface from uh, from the unknown, as we should say, um, somebody that nobody has linked us with. Um, I think it'll be typical Perslow sort of, and this new guy, Johan Lang, um, that somebody comes through the door that we haven't even been talking about in the last couple of weeks. Obviously, Wilson, if if he was to come, he's probably got what sort of 
35 Prem appearances last season in a struggling Bournemouth team and, and managed um, eight goals, was it? Seven or eight goals. Um, bit of a tapping merchant and we definitely have to improve in terms of our style of play with the wingers and um, getting more balls into the, that final sort of six-yard area for him to thrive upon. He wouldn't be in my top two um, transfer targets for a striker. But there's lots, there's lots of links and lots of reports linking him with. But 20 million, again, seems a big figure for a player of his sort of uh, standard and statistics. I don't, I don't know what you think. Um, personally, my top one was, it's always been Edouard from Celtic. But again, seller's market, if they want 40 million, will Villa go there and, and, and pay that? Yeah, I think I think the, the, the main thing to remember is, like you say, the seller's market. I think it'd be that because of the, the COVID situation. Everyone's going to have lost money um, because of, obviously, fans not coming to the ground and, and everything else that comes with it in terms of match day revenue and other, other pieces of revenue and, and other kind of outgoings that, that became unexpected over the last six months. So teams will... Um, We'll try and get, get as much money out of other teams as possible um, because it is harder time, so to speak. Whether 28 million is true, um, I mean, it was reported by, by Percy, who tends to be on the money. Um, whether it's they're, they're going to start with 28 and then we'll maybe go in and go for 20 up front and then some add ons, I don't really know. The, the Wilson one, I did say a couple of weeks ago, um, as Joe mentioned, that Callum Wilson was someone who I thought wouldn't be too bad but when he went into detail um, I was a bit underwhelmed in terms of the way that he would fit in the side um, like you say 32 games last season goals 14 the season before 8, 6, 5 the three seasons before that so he's only got over 10 um, in one of five seasons in the Prem from a team that have never re I know they have not really been top 10, but they've never really struggled um, and they've been attacking. So if only about that output, he's, you know, question marks over that. Um, Eduard would certainly be one for me. Um, but yeah, I, I think we should probably start researching the Belgian league. They'll pop out because we've got you know, two of their two of their top goal scorers from the last couple of years. We bought them, haven't we, over the last couple of strikers. So, I do agree with you on that. I think whether it be the Belgian League or somewhere else, there probably is something murmuring under the surface uh, where you know Christian Perzo and the others are, are kind of trying to unearth someone that we've never heard of, which could be interesting. Um, last week, Joe uh, done research around um, the old Premier League experience one, and I've seen people mention yes, Callum Wilson. We need him, he's got Premier League experience. And um, we mentioned last week that, uh, that, that based, on, uh, based on players that have cost 20 million and more, which Wilson would fall into that bracket if what's been reported would be true. So, so based on players that have cost 20 million pounds or more that have come into the Premier League from non-Premier League clubs, obviously that's Championship, SPL, La Liga, Serie A, etc., etc., against players who were signed from within the Premier League. On average, the players signed outside the Premier League scored 12 goals a season. Whereas on average, the players signed from within the Premier League scored nine goals a season. Obviously, there are 
um, players that, that don't fall within this, which would be um, the likes of Lukaku, for example, who cost £80 million from Everton to United, who went on to score however many goals. But in terms of value for money, you have to spend a lot to be able to get a player with Premier League experience who's going to perform well. Um, and on average, these players signed from outside the Premier League. Um, their stats would tend to get better and better and they'd, they'd kind of go up, whereas the players signed from within the Premier League would, would kind of remain steady. So it does appear that the value is the, the value for money would, would be better coming from outside the Premier League. I know a lot of Villa fans would be um, reserved on, on some of the players because Wesley wasn't particularly brilliant. When you look at it on the face, with five goals, wasn't too bad. Samata obviously won league goals with pretty poor. So I think that's what people are kind of not so sure about getting players from outside the Premier League. But um, one kind of, I say, a, a position I've seen um, us linked with players um, is goalkeeper. Uh, I don't know what your thoughts are in terms of whether we need a new goalkeeper or not, but I've not really thought about it until I've seen these rumours pop up in all fairness. Uh, um, Sergio Romero to add to our, our collection of goalkeepers but for the for the money that's been reported yeah. 8 million with potential add-ons um, seems like a pretty solid deal to me I mean he made um, I think he made what 17 appearances for United last season mostly in the Europa League and cup competitions but from what I've seen of him every time he looks solid yeah. um looks reliable um, and he's what is is the record Argentinian uh, goalkeeper uh, appearances isn't he 96 appearances for Argentina is it two World Cups and um, two Copa America tournaments as well that he's uh, been to so yeah the experience how old is he Chris he's around 30 33 32 32 so for a keeper he's still got a few years left in him at least three, four years, would you say? Yeah, I think obviously Tom Eaton's 34. Um, I think the big concern would probably be the, the injury Eaton had and whether I've seen a lot of people say this and, and I do see their point put Steer in uh, and play Romero, uh, play Romero, play Heaton um, when, when he comes back. But there's no guarantees that he would be as good as a goalkeeper. Um, as he was before the injury. So just, just to kind of touch on some stats, um, Tom Heaton ranked 16th last season um, when looking at um, save percentages in the league. He had a 67% save percentage. Um, Hugo Lloris was at the top with a just under 80% save percentage. Um, this would be based on players that have got 10 or more league starts. Um, and then when you look at Romero, obviously he didn't play in the Premier League last season. He was the cup goalkeeper. In terms of the FA Cup last season, he had a 93% save um, success rate, which is, which is pretty good. Um, he, he's, when you look at it in terms of save percentages, you know, some seasons he's in 100%, 80s, 80s, 90s, all over the place. As you say, internationally, you know, you associate Argentina with being one of the top, top sides. So to have played that many games, fair play to him, he's done well. Um, in the league last season, nine starts, 85% save percentage. So in terms of a goalkeeper, and I know we mentioned it a couple of weeks ago about 
the style of play and how important it is for a goalkeeper under Dean Smith with, with, with those kind of passes going forward. I think essentially all we care about and I think all anyone would care about is their save percentages and, and how good they are as a goalkeeper. And I don't think anyone can argue that Romero is he's a top goalkeeper because he, he absolutely is. Um, I'd take 8 million plus any potential add-ons, whatever those add-ons would be, I don't know. Uh, possibly appearance-based, success-based, I don't know. But I'd take that. Um, I think the other one, I did see briefly, Mark, we were linked with Emiliano Martinez. Um, um, I mean, he seems to be a good understudy to, to Leno in goal, 81% save percentage, which is quite good. He had eight, eight, um, eight games last season, eight starts, nine overall. Again, not a bad goalkeeper. I think it was one of them, and, and we mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, that there was, there was rumours of right-backs. Uh, we were linked with, I think, um, Maitland-Niles. We were linked with Max Ahrens. And it seemed like, and we touched on it and said, because of those links, it looks like we're after a right-back. And then those have kind of been, it's been confirmed about the, the bid being accepted for massive cash. So clearly we're after a right-back. So again, with this kind of, you know, signal that we are after a goalkeeper, even though we've got another four goalkeepers on the books, um, that seems like it's, it's going it's to, that, that is potentially one to look out for. I'd take Romero, 100%. I think you're right with that one. Um, internationally, he's got a good pedigree. Um, yeah, playing for Manchester United. Um, I did see someone say, you know, if he's that good, why didn't, you know, why hasn't he come in over De Gea, even though De Gea's form has been terrible last season? Um, okay, argument for it, maybe. I don't know. But then again, it's not like Romero has been poor in the cup competitions when he's played. So, I don't know. I mean, you know, you said Romero would be a good one. Um, would you think? Do you think? Do you think that would be good business getting in one of those keepers, Romero or Martinez, and then potentially having yeah, challenge Heaton? Both, both of them. Yeah, both of them would be great business to challenge Heaton. Um, obviously, Heaton's not going to be ready for the start of the season, and and how fit and how match ready is he going to be when he is eventually back? Uh, you just don't know how much the injuries affected him. Uh, I think, personally, that if we could get Romero through the door, that would add strength and depth in the goalkeeper positions. And hopefully one of Kalinic or Nyland would be going the opposite direction if we could get a buyer. Um, I think um, Nyland, what will he have left one year at the end of this season? After this season, will it be? Um, so potential to run his contract yeah. down, but if we could get rid of Kalinic, that would be ideal. Um, and then maybe you send uh, Jed Steer or Nyland out on loan. Um, moving on, um, as always, going to answer your questions. So I'm going to throw some questions at Ian now. I've had some good questions that have come in again, once again. Um, this is becoming a very good part of the podcast. Some good questions coming in. So, um, Okay, this one's coming in. Very, very good. Onkar Singh sent this, sent this one in. Um, and I, I, do, I do agree. This is something very, very important. What kind of is coming up at the moment. He said, how long should you give a new player for them to succeed or not? And that would be as fans and as a club. So what do you reckon to that one? <laughs> what a great question that is 
Uh, I think we saw it a lot throughout the season, just gone. Um, fans particularly getting impatient with certain players. But I think it does prove that if you have a little patience and give a player time, that they can generally come on leaps and bounds from those initial first appearances. If you look, I'll give you an example. Douglas Louise in the last six or, well, ever since lockdown, sort of when we came back after lockdown, Douglas Louise was, for me, one of our best players on the pitch every single week. Um, and then if you compare that to the start of the season where obviously the technical ability, you could always see it was there, but he wasn't sort of match savvy and he wasn't getting in the right positions as that defensive sort of blocker and that defensive midfielder. But then if you compare and contrast that to especially the last four games where his passing range was exquisite. And I think it's going to be the same with players like, hopefully, touch wood, Trezeguet this season. I'm, I'm hoping he's strong finished. Um, really on fire and banging a few goals for us and, and, and play an important role in um, assisting a new striker hopefully, that comes through the door. But great question. Really good question. But, yeah, for, for a club, I think you're looking at least... Well, you, you put them on a contract, don't you? So if you put a player on a, a four-year contract, I think you know in your heart of hearts after the first year whether he's going to be... whether he's going to fit the club, whether he's going to be right. You look at the attitude in training every day and, and those are the things that fans that we can't see uh, on a consistent basis. We only see in match day sort of... Um, efforts but yeah I think as a club you give them at least one season um, and as a fan base you've got to at least give them one season now I know it's hard to do sometimes especially when uh, your sort of chips are down and uh, you're under the cosh um, and for large sections of last season we were in a relegation battle so it was easily to get on players backs but I think it just proves critical that if you look at Douglas Louise and I think he's going to go from strength to strength this season yeah give them at least one season for me Yeah, I, th I think I, I agree with you on that one. It's it's a tough one. I mean, we, we've seen it so many times over the years, haven't we? Giving, giving players time. I, th I think one thing to bear in mind, and, and I'll always say this, is that I think fans in particular, you expect a player, and I think the expectations are greater with the fee. Um, you expect a player to hit the ground running. You know, we both, like we did, we, we spent 22 million on Wesley. I think we expected him to score you know, 40 goals a season or whatever. Um, but we expected at least him to, to, to kind of pick up and I think to hit the ground when he did, he did pick up around January, obviously he got injured. Um, but I think one thing to bear in mind is they come in and obviously there's an expectation that they will fit in and adapt into a, a style and a system. And rather than, you know, just buy a player, it seems like Dean Smith and co would look at a player to fit a system. So obviously Wesley came into, I suppose, be the the younger, probably cheaper version of Tammy Abraham to come in to be that goal scorer, to be that link up man at top for us. Um, but also, especially when you're buying a player from abroad, you've got to, you've got to take into consideration these players and you know Douglas Louise and Wesley, the main two, Fezaga as well. They're quite young guys, um, and they're coming from you know, from Belgium, from Spain, from Turkey, 
to come and live in a different country, it's a different culture. They are potentially away from their family, whether that be, you know, their, their parents, brother, sister, their children, whatever it is. Um, then you've got to adapt. You've got a new, you know, you're working at a new company, so to speak. You know, you've got a new, new club to play for, new boss, new colleagues and teammates. There's a lot to go through at such a young age as well. And I think because football's changed so much, there's that expectation that you are a perfect human being. You've got to, you know, be be perfect in everything you do to make sure you can bring that onto the pitch and be a fine specimen as an athlete. I think mentally there's a lot to take on. And, and this is something I'm going to touch on in a couple of weeks. Um, I've got a special guest coming on um, where we're going to discuss mental health. I think to, to bear in mind, because I've seen it so many times, I'm sure you have as well, Ian, and, and people are listening. People from terraces, people in pubs, in bars, in, in wherever, maybe friends at your house, screaming all sorts of stuff at you because they're not performing. Um, and you've got to think sometimes, and well, this, this goes onto social media, you've got to think sometimes this stuff could affect people, and it obviously has done in the past. So I think, you know, a season at least, you've got to give these players at least one season. And as, as you mentioned with Douglas Louise, what a player he showed towards the end of the season. So as a question, Anka, that was, that was a really, really good question. I think, again... Right. It's got to be one of the best questions we've had so far. A season... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, really good question. It, it gets you thinking, and, and it is yeah. certainly something to think about. I think as well with with Villa, because of all the players we had in last season, and, and people, certain people get written up for two games, others they get a bit more time. Um, really, really good one. Um, so kind of um, transfer related, as most of them will be at the moment. So I'll allow you to bring Matty Cash into the equation. Um, so this is one from Mike Anthony. And he said, if we don't bring anyone in before the season kicks off, uh, what would be your ideal starting lineup given the players we have? Because signings have supposedly been coming in for a while, but we've seen nothing so far. Apart from, it seems like, since that question's come in, that Matty Cash will be signing in. Touch wood, as long as he doesn't fail his medical or doesn't want whatever we're going to offer him. So what would your 11 be? If we started the season t tomorrow, so to speak, I'd think in goal I'd go for just just anchoring towards Jed Steer over Nyland, and then a back four of Target, Mings, Concer, Gilbert, and in your midfield Douglas, Louise Holding, McGinn. And uh, this is where, do I put Grealish in the middle or do I start him on the left where he finished the season so strongly at West Ham? Yeah, I'd put, we got Sheffield United at home, haven't we, in that first game. I'd put, I'd put Grealish, Grealish, McGinn and Louise in the middle and then go with a front three uh, with your wingers of Trezeguet, Oh, this is a tough one. Yeah, starts to matter. And then, yeah, El Ghazi the other side uh, and just go ultra attacking. See if, obviously, they'll have played the game uh, before, so they might have a bit more sharpness, that match fitness up on us. But yeah, we're, we're at home. Why not go for it? Um, 
What do you think? I mean, would, would you not play Matty Cash? If I was allowed to play Matty Cash, if that transfer deal, if we're saying that transfer deal's gone through, yeah, I'd throw him in instead of Gilbert. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as long as Mike's okay with this, um, I'll I'll make sure it's me. <laughs> I, I'm going to I'm going to allow Matty Cash um, to be in the equation. So so would you start Matty Cash? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, 100%. Matty Cash in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think... I, I, I'm trying to think. I don't know if... The, I, I think the only... The only question would be... Uh, the, the, the Grealish... I suppose Grealish El Ghazi kind of question. Because if you, stick, if you stick Grealish on the left, then you drop El Ghazi. Then who do you bring in the middle? Um, you know who's best? Who's best suitable? Sorry, though, guys. I mean, Nakamba possibly. I quite like marvelous, marvelous to be honest. But I'm, I'm more of a fan of Grealish being in the middle. Um, yeah. I mean, for me, yeah, you'd probably I'm, say Hurahan. Yeah, Hurahan possibly. Um, I mean. Who has that as his moments? I think he's one of them. Sometimes you can you can stick him in just for his, his delivery because um, it's another you know it's another avenue, isn't it? And we've we've done all right. Yeah, I think, towards the end of the that piece is a weapon from a set uh, piece. So. Yeah, to be different, I'll stick Grealish on the left, bring Hurahan in. So I'll go steering goal, um, then back four. We'll go Cash, Konza, Mings, Target. Douglas Louise sitting, Hurahan McGinn just in front, McGinn getting closer to Samata with Grealish and Trezeguet the stop. Um, I mean, in all fairness, it's not terrible, but you want that bit more depth. I think we, we mentioned the other week getting in players, if you're getting players that have improved your first team, then it coincides with improving your bench as well. Um, you know, you, you could potentially, you know, El Ghazi on your bench, potentially Trezeguet on your bench, Harahan on your bench, um, which makes it in. Um, kind of moving on slightly from that, um, another one is, so, in terms of, the season's quite close now, so this is, this is a question from Denver Baker. So, due to the season being so close, would you prefer four to five mediocre players like we saw in last season or one to two proven excellent players due to the fact that the players will have to carry last season's team in that sense so we could sign four to five players that could be squad fillers or if we sign one to two top top class players would come in and I suppose in a similar vein to Grealish would be the main men and they'd kind of have to carry the team would you rather go go for two top quality players or some more squad fillers? Uh, easy for me, this one. Two two top quality players. Um, if you look at our transfer business so far, it looks like we're taking a very measured approach um, and identifying key players and then trying to negotiate for them. It's not going to be easy because if they are key players at their clubs as well, it's like I said earlier. It's a seller's market, so they are they're going to want to 
top dollar for them. So I think it's going to come down to uh, later on in the transfer window when we see a lot more deals go through. But yeah, for me, two top quality players over four squad fillers. Easy decision, that one. Yeah, we said, I think we said it last week. Um, we probably said it every week, to be honest. <clears throat> the players we've been linked with. So if you say Ben Rama, Watkins, Rashidza, um, you know, these guys are Edward as well. Those guys are essentially the best players at their clubs. So they want investments yeah. in before they sell them to us. And like you say, the, the price goes up because they need to, they want to make a profit and they've also got to get in a replacement. And I know going on with Watkins, it looks like that's their replacement, whether that's for us or or not, I don't really know. Um, I think I'll be doing one, to be honest, because I, I don't know. I'm sure there's a lot of people who wouldn't, who wouldn't agree. But when you look at the, the teams we've just mentioned, um, I think the weak, the weak areas stand out. You probably, you probably argue one in each position. Um, goalkeeper, um, but then you've got Tom Heaton potentially to come back. Um, centre midfield, where we looked at the the Hurahan, Grealish, Nakamba dilemma or trilemma. But then if you if you improve on the wing, which again is another position, improve on the wing, Grealish can come in, into the middle. Um, Samata, again, weak area, improve as a striker. So say that team, say, say you went into the season and you had... Um, so the back four we picked with Matty Cash in, Whoever in goal to start with, so Steer. Midfield three of Louise, McGinn, Grealish. Then you went to front three of I'm I'm just I'm just gonna go with, with one of them. So I'll say Ben Rama, Edward and Trezeguet. Then that team looks a hell of a lot better, doesn't it? Just having two players as opposed to four or five squad fillers. Two of those quality players in those areas that we've identified as our weak links. For me, definitely winger and striker should be the next two that we are generally concerned about. Because, like you say, if, if you can have players like El Ghazi and Trezeguet potentially coming off the bench to affect games around, I don't know, 65, 70 minutes, just adds that so much more depth and um, quality to the squad, doesn't it? And getting two proven players in in those positions, striker and as a winger, um, it's, it's just going to make the whole team look a hell of a lot stronger on paper. And it's going to scare the opposition a little bit more. So it'll be interesting to see what we get through the door next if Matty Cash is to be the first one. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, those are the main ones, I think. Um, I do think, like you said, President Gay looked like he was making a bit, he was settling in a bit more, making a difference. I mean, you know, essentially, he kept us up last season, you know, two goals against Palace, got the winner against Arsenal. Um, and they, they was they were good goals in all fairness. It, he likes that back that coming in late at the back post to put the goal in. Did it against Liverpool at home, um, you know. So he, he's looking like a good option. I don't know if it's a case that his fitness levels have just got that bit better, and he's kind of got more fit with the Premier League. I did read something about Trezeguet that in terms of Aston Villa, and I think it's quite high. There's one of the one of the fastest sprints, certainly for us. So Villa's fastest sprint of the season was Trezeguet against Liverpool. 
um, which I think ranked quite high, possibly top three in the league. Um, I think behind Kyle Walker and the Dharma Traore, so that's, that's pretty good. And obviously that Liverpool, it was a Liverpool away game, which was, after loss, is it a case that you've just been able to settle in that fitness? Um, possibly, yeah, but I think you just look at that and you say, one or two quality players, striker and a winner, makes a team, you get a winger in, like we said, you move Grealish inside. That midfield of Grealish McGinn and um, Douglas Louise is fantastic. He's one of the best midfielders we've had for a long, long time. Um, as long as they're all fit and firing, and in all fairness, they are they are all fairly consistent. Douglas Louise obviously coming into it a bit more recently. That would be pretty good. So I'd be happy with that. One of one of the you know one or two would be brilliant. So again, another good question. Um, Anka did mention another question, um, and I'm going to. It's it's a tough one in all fairness. <laughs> he said also. Do you think, now that we've bullied Southgate into getting Grealish into the squad, that we can do the same with Henry Lansbury? <laughs> it's, um, it's one way to get uh, Lansbury playing some uh, games, isn't it? And getting some uh, match minutes, maybe. <laughs> I mean, there was, there was probably a point years ago. Do you remember, he was quite regular for the under-21s, wasn't he? I bet he thought, I wonder how far I am from the England team. And obviously, he's miles away now, isn't he? I mean, he's, he's miles away from, he's probably closer to the England team than he is the Villa team. But um, yeah, we'll have to try that one, won't we? We'll, you know, go on at Twitter um, about Green. Um, and then we'll, we'll, you know, add Henry Lansbury into the equation, try and get him into the team. Um, so yeah, those are all the, question, the questions I've had for this week. I think there's some good ones there that I've picked out. Um, so yeah it looks like hopefully by the time we record our one next week um, so for those people listening um, next week I'm not going to I'm not going to let you know who but next week um, on the podcast we have a special guest who is a current Premier League footballer ex-Aston Villa footballer I'm not going to tell you who, who he is at the moment he's on next week the week after again Another special special episode uh, where we're going to talk, um, obviously about Aston Villa, but some other pressing matters. Um, and that is someone who is linked to a current Premier League football club, but he's not a player. So a couple of really good, interesting episodes coming up. Um, so once again, Ian, thank you for your time. As usual, brilliant, great chat. We could be here all night. Um, but yeah, thank you very much, Ian. <laughs> 